Um, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'm the author of that tip, so um, uh, I'll kick it off. Um, so SIP uh, 113 is uh, basically uh, proposing that we re-enable the Korean won. Um, the intent behind that is that there is a proposed curve pool. Correct me if I'm wrong, Andre, it may already exist now because this has been floating around for a while. Um, but there's a pool proposed uh, between SKRW and a wrapped uh, Korean won token. Uh, that is intended to uh, allow people to take advantage of direct KRW uh, cross-asset swaps into things like ETH and BTC. Um, so we've spoken to uh, Chainlink and they have told us that uh, the feed is, is live. Um, the one thing I haven't checked, but I'm sure this is going to be fine, is that they've got a version of this feed that's running on OCR. Uh, but assuming that that's all good, uh, we should be... We should be fine to enable it. Um, I guess the only sort of risk that I see with this is the risk of tempting fate, given the history of KRW. But other than that, I think it should be fairly uh, non-controversial. Let me make sure we got a good get, uh, data provider on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the data providers are significantly better than they were uh, back in July of 2019. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, to to maybe cover if it hasn't been covered in a previous uh, SIP presentation to the council, um, adding a new SIP uh, shouldn't require any downtime. Uh, should be a fairly straightforward process. Uh, and I think the plan, uh, if I'm not wrong, Clinton, is just to deploy an entirely new contract, um, new version of, uh, of KRW and, and wire it up to uh, the Chainlink aggregator. Yeah, super civil. So Johan's confirmed he's already got the feed for it. It's been going for a couple of weeks now. Um, we deploy a new synth. There'll be three contracts, the proxy, the synth, and the uh, token state. Um, no system downtime. It'll be uh, super simple to add. So I think if if the council approves this proposal, uh, then the plan would be to either deploy it um, tomorrow, or if there's not enough time to do that, uh, that tomorrow being Thursday Sydney time, Thursday afternoon Sydney time. Um, but if we don't have enough time, then we'd probably try and deploy it uh, the following Tuesday. Sydney time, I believe, are the two kind of uh, deployment windows. Yeah, I think we can set up a, a vote today. So at least no questions from my side. I think it's clear and yeah, tempting fate aside, I think straightforward. And we, we don't have this this guy Onyx Rogue, right? That was the so he's up. <laughs> I don't know. He could still be floating around. We don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm still here. No, <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, they. It, it wasn't intending to attack. It was really just a, a bad price feed. What KRW came through from Alpha Vantage at like ten thousand X, and his bot just happened to uh, front run that trade and got lucky. He didn't even know he was doing it.
Cool. Okay. Um, well, yeah, if there's no uh, further questions from the council, I guess we'll let you guys uh, set up the proposal and, and put it to a vote. There was a question on the market closures. Are they set up for KRW? Jackson? Yeah, good good question. Um, so what happens is we do suspend exchanging. Um, so you can't mint uh, SKRW Forexes over the weekend now when the Forex markets are closed. So it's usually about Saturday afternoon till um, like a Monday morning Sydney time. Um, based on what when the Forex markets are uh, closed around the world globally. Um, so that's just preventing, um, but that wouldn't affect any SKRW that's already been issued from being tra uh, traded. So uh, market closures would just prevent more more from being issued uh, or exchanged from the synthetics exchange. So I think if, if the purpose is to, uh, you know, put them into a, um, a curve pool, then they should be fine, not affected. The question is that different currencies trade at different times. So could KRW be trading at a different time from Euro, for example, and therefore, I don't know if they are synchronized, the different uh, triggers to close markets for trading times. I don't know about the um, Oracle, but if they're yeah. not synchronized, then you'd have a periods of non-trading where it's activated. Non-periods of trading. My, my uh, understanding is that uh, the, the data feeds, um, where they're coming from, uh, are all um, opening at the same time for all the major FX currencies. Uh, I don't believe that there's any difference uh, in any of the data feeds in terms of when the first uh, price update comes through. Um, we can definitely check that though um, on the aggregator and just and validate that um, before we put the proposal through because as Clinton mentioned, uh, it's been running on mainnet now for a couple of weeks. So we've got a couple of weeks of data to look at just to make sure. All right, thank you. All right, should we get to the juicy stuff? Bring it on. Sure. Let's do it. All right, so um, SIP120, uh, I'll just give a quick intro um, and then I'll have hand over to Brad. If he can run down, 120 is to bypass fee reclamation. Um, so fee reclamation, um, as we all know and love, uh, prevents atomic transactions. Um, so it prevents the ability for cross-asset swaps uh, in uh, Curve and, and other AMM pools um, from leveraging uh, the, the synth conversion to allow large block trades uh, because you have to wait uh, for um, a set period of time before the next transaction can happen. 
Um, so there have been several attempts to, to bypass this, including virtual synths, um, which are currently implemented uh, by both Justin as well as directly by the Curve team, um, as well as now this uh, sort of prototype of, of SIP120, which Andre has implemented, um, which has been running on, on mainnet as well. Um, again, you know, with the intent to allow atomic transactions. So you would be able to turn up with, for example, a stable coin like USDC, trade that stable coin into SUSD, trade the SUSD into SBTC, and then trade SBTC into wrapped BTC, allowing for, you know, a block trade on the order of five, 10, $15 million, um, depending on the, the underlying liquidity in curve. Um, and at the moment, the, the process, you know, even though there's a fair amount of volume going through the non-atomic version of this, um, the process is a little bit cumbersome and, and you know, there's some risk for the person who's making the trade. Um, so the intent behind this SIP was to find a way to uh, aggregate a number of different price feeds to produce an output that would not require this uh, fee reclamation speed bump. Um, so effectively that leverages uh, several different um, time-weighted um, price feeds uh, and um, chain link price feeds as well as the current uh, spot rate within a couple of different AMMs uh, with the intent that you will get the worst of those uh, prices um, when you when you go to uh, make a trade through this um, and therefore um, you know you're in theory protected against uh, front running because um, you know you're getting the, the worst rate out of uh, these several uh, rates that we're we're checking at the time of the transaction. So um, I'll probably hand over to Brett here to just walk through the implementation in a little bit more detail, and then I guess we can open up uh, to some questions because, um, as we know, Caleb has been uh, running some back testing against this to kind of see if there is an attack vector here, and I believe that he's identified that under certain conditions there is. Um, I think we have some potential approaches to mitigate this, but um, we can we can walk through that once Brett's kind of uh, given a bit more detail around the implementation. Um, and if if Andre, if you have anything to say in, in terms of uh, you know your reasoning or, or rationale around the, the mechanism, feel free to jump in. All right, over to you, Brett, if you can talk, or Andre, whoever's... And I'm checking if Brett can... Brett, are you good? Right, I'm also happy to talk through the implementation. Okay. Um, um, yeah, Andre, why don't you go ahead? Because um, I think Brett's still not able to get through. Yeah, so, so I mean, the, the, it's, it's really just, I mean, I think I can already summarize it. You've got your three primary price feeds. Um, feed number one is the current spot price in wherever you have highest liquidity. So right now we use an aggregate of Uniswap and SushiSwap, but the idea is eventually to probably just use the higher liquidity one of the two. Um, we originally did do liquidity weighted, um, but there was a attack vector there where you could, you know, flash loan a bunch of liquidity into the into let's say SushiSwap is 
20 cents less, then you flash loan a bunch of liquidity in there and that liquidity weights the price and then you end up with the 20 cent less price. So we removed that out of the equation. Um, CL price as per normal, just the chain link feed as we get it. And then the last one is the price feed from Keeper. Um, Keeper does 30 minutes um, TWAPs from both SushiSwap and Uniswap on all of these price feeds. And then it just gives you whatever price you want based on your security tolerance. Um, the one we have now is based on an hour. So it gives you the TWAP price for the last hour, but you can increase that to however long you want. Um, the thought also there being that, you know, for, for higher volumes, perhaps to use higher security thresholds. Um, but we, we have three new mechanisms we want to introduce that kind of offsets that. So, so we deployed that, um, and it's been running for, probably over a month now. Um, no no, no um, issues currently. Um, there's been a few trades. It's not integrated anywhere, so there's not a lot of active trades. There's like basically two arbitrage bots that's just like running against it. Um, so they do trades between SEF, SBTC, and SUSD, um, and that's been going well. There haven't been any, any pooled losses there. Um, but all it does, it really gives you this 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 price feed, um, which will allow you to do these atomic transactions, and it's the min of these three feeds. So quickly talking about some of the potential attack vectors. The one vector, basically with Chainlink, you had a, a five-minute attack vector, because that's the update times for Chainlink. So every within every five minutes, you can front run that next five-minute updates, and your window is five minutes. And, and that's sort of where feeder reclamation and everything came in. Um, and five minutes being the absolute max, you can kind of get away within like two to three minutes as well. So with, with this update, that same attack vector technically still exists. The only difference is it's now changed from a five minute seal update to a 13.5 second block update. So it's still possible to, to front run exchange, uh, a centralized exchange to what's happening on Ethereum currently. So, you know, if the price very quickly tanks on, uh, I don't know, Binance, whatever, where the arbitrator has funds, then they can still front run that drop because Ethereum would not have updated within that 13.5 second window yet. Um, obviously a lot of risk for the front runner because like they can't do that trade atomic. Um, they need to, you know, have hedged funds on the centralized exchange fund side and hedge funds on the decentralized exchange side to be able to do it. Um, but it is possible to in build infrastructure for that, um, even if it is risk-based. And if it is possible, it does mean we need to look at mitigating it. So some of the mitig mitigation mechanisms we've proposed is um, number one is max trade side per epoch. So what we can implement on the actual exchange side is that we, we have a certain volume limit. So let's say you can only trade 10 million dollars worth of SUSD in any given one hour time period, um, then that's already sort of bounded losses you can do. The The second proposal was that instead of just having full um, sort of um, exchange functionality, and by that I mean that it can you know, do do infinite size trades. We um, the the council or the DAO can can set aside X amount of funds that it can sort of mint uncollateralized, if I can call it that, and then provide that into this AMM so that it's bounded by that liquidity. So you can't go outside of that liquidity um, to do these trades. But both of those are just sort of to mitigate attack vectors that we don't know about potentially yet. Um, the last one that actually deals with 
stopping front running like that within the 13.5 second window um, is basically using a combination of how far the prices have drifted from each other. So if the if the deviation between chain link price and um, spot price is too much, trading is simply halted for atomic trades. Um, the alternative is also Keeper also has on-chain volatility, so it tracks the volatility price movement of any price in comparison to any other given asset. Um, and that circuit breaker can also be built in that if that goes over X threshold for a given asset, then trading is also halted. Um, and from an implementation perspective, the, the idea here isn't to replace fee reclamation, it is to, to have it as an option for a user. So they can either go atomic, in which case they will get a worse rate than they would if they go fee reclamation, or they can go fee reclamation, but then they're going to wait. So, so the atomic transaction really helps facilitate things like what we're doing in Curve with cross-asset swaps, um, or when we're doing crypto pools as well. Um, and, and it helps there, but you don't necessarily always need the best rate. Um, and obviously it also helps UX a little bit from, from aggregator's perspective, but we can always let the user decide which one they want to do, um, is sort of the end goal there. Um, then one thing I was also thinking about is like, even if we don't want to do uh, the second option that I just mentioned, where we do it bounded by some, you know, amount of liquidity that is basically minted by the DAO, uh, we can also on the liquidity by what's actually available in the curve pools. So if you want to do, you know, an SUSD to a SBTC swap, we, we don't allow that swap to be anything more than is currently, you know, on the SUSD side in its curve pool and the SBTC side in its curve pool. And then we also have that bounded liquidity. And, um, this, this isn't in the SIP, but, uh, while we were talking, I was also actually thinking we can use the available liquidity in curve as well as as a as an additional slippage protection on top um, but that's sort of my my VA um, virtual AMM idea that that we we haven't proposed yet um, but it could be useful to borrow that from there um, and I hope that helps add context awesome thanks Andre that was that was really helpful um, Brett are you still Unable to talk, or are you good? I can see you're unmuted, but can't hear you. Yeah, he was saying that uh, the it seems like he's got some sort of mic issue on the on his phone. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that's, that's not ideal. Um, so, Caleb, did you want to just give us a run through of the backtesting that you've done and uh, some of the concerns that you raised the other day? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, what I looked at is how would um, someone be able to take advantage of the price feeds to profit? And um, one of the main things that make this kind of feed work is uh, our bots on Uniswap and Sushi that align the price on those uh, AMMs against price feeds, uh, price feeds on centralized exchanges. So what would that attack picture would look like is during times of fast moving prices where gas prices are through the roof, then um, 
what would happen is that someone would take advantage by um, front running uh, the R bots or maybe not even needing to do that. And so during the last few days with the re recent volatility in prices, I was able to observe that it was possible to uh, get like 30, 40 basis points advantage in terms of pricing. And then you close up the trade on synthetics, but you do have to incur the uh, fear reclamation period. You have to wait it out. Uh, it is important to note that when, when this kind of trade happens, it happens because of some sudden change in price that is significant. So ideally, what you would want to do is not close up the trade right away, but wait for it to fully be reflected and then uh, opportunistically uh, close your trade back to SUSD. So you go from SUSD to ETH, SETH on the AMM, and then you close up the trade back on synthetics. And with a few backtesting uh, bots on, um, um, I, I noticed that you could make a, a bit of money on this with um, not too much trouble. Uh, the the cap would help, but it doesn't close the gap, of course. It's not a solution. Uh, at least um, because because we they just need to get a few trades through to profit. So uh, going through the uh, other proposed um, alternative, which is going through curve. Um, introducing some form of slippage. That could help, of course, yeah. I'm not sure if it does or not. I didn't check it yet. But it's worth um, um, considering that Curve does provide very low slippage for reasonably large trades. So I'm a bit hesitant on this as well. Um, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a pickle. It's not, not so easy to solve as a problem. So... I'm still thinking through what kind of things can be done about it. And uh, what, what worries me most is the ability to front run over uh, many, many trades. So it's not um, one time and they just make money and they stop. They'll do it on each and every cycle of volatility. And that's something to worth considering. They might lose on some trades. They might make some money. But the, but the important thing is they make money on most of the trades. And that's something to consider uh, or to think of on how we can tackle this. Got it. And, and so I think when we were discussing this, uh, we considered a couple of options. Um, to, uh, Brett and I were, were talking about this last night. Um, one option we considered was closing the loop back to synthetics by enforcing that they actually go through both hops, right? So they can't just leverage this route to go uh, SUSD, SBTC, wait for the price to catch up and then close the trade SBTC, SUSD. They actually, you know, the, the contract or, or the function would enforce that they're going from, you know, USDC or some other stablecoin through Curve that 
uh, it then goes SUSD, SBTC, and then the SBTC to wrap BTC uh, is closed. Otherwise, the, the function will revert effectively. Um, now, Brett was saying that this could be challenging to implement because already um, uh, exchanges in uh, synthetics are, are bumping up against the, the contract size limit. Um, but that to me feels like one, one kind of pathway. Um, I think the other pathway that we talked about that Andre had mentioned was some kind of volatility protection. Um, but I know Caleb, you had even raised the point that, you know, because volatility tends to be a lagging indicator, there's still a chance that, you know, unless you have very tight volatility protection, which means that, you know, it might not work most of the time, uh, that there's still likely to be an attack vector there, even if we are using some kind of on-chain volatility detection. Um, also, what what can actually be be used for volatility that's not the price is actually the the gas price. Um, so, like there could be set, um, and and this will have to be somewhat manually configured, but but there could be set gas price limits, um, so that if it spikes above that, it's almost always a clear indicator of volatility. Are you getting chills, Clinton? We we've actually uh, we've actually used this before uh, this um, this idea of like a uh, maximum gas uh, price um, threshold. So we actually had that logic. Uh, it does exist. Yeah, let's 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 about like maximum gas because you know gas is like a constantly shifting indicator. Just just sort of a a a circuit breaker if jumps out of bounds. You you know the same thing we would do for the volatility. Um, but like most of most of Lib's successful front runs were all, you know, within that within that sort of one block indicator. And like that your volatility is going to be a lagging indicator there in any case. So so you're you're not going to be able to use it within that one block advantage window. Um, so 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 these are just really circuit breakers because because what what we're trying to to achieve here is not sort of void fee reclamation or stop it just create an alternative that when we consider these are good trading conditions people are allowed to do it atomic um, you know and like this there's we we can still do full um, x times y slippage included in there which also offsets um, the the potential wins because because like the 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 win you get. Of the with the proposed um, feed also only happens because you know it gives you that infinite slippage ach, that that um, zero slippage window um, can add in the the default slippage that's a one line change in the the current feed um, again you know it gives worse quotes but it it'll make it all, all of these little additions just you know add up to basically make it to the point where it is is non-profitable unless you have like you know all of the infrastructure set up and even then you're not making profits that exceed gas fees um so 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 i i, I wouldn't say you know a, a gas limit is sort of core proposal more like a circuit breaker around it got it and and so would it be possible is there uh any on-chain like I'm i'm thinking like some kind of 
you know, tee wipe for gas, right? And if it exceeds that by, if I remember correctly, and I can't remember the exact implementation, maybe Clinton or, or Jackson can remind me, but um, we had some average gas price. And if the the delta or if the ratio of, of gas used exceeded some amount, then it just wouldn't work, right? So like if we're ticking along at 100 guay, and then all of a sudden, you know, this person comes to and tries to push it through a 200 guay, then it'll just revert and say, you know, the average gas price has been 100 guay for the last hour. And, you know, therefore, you can't exceed 200, for example. Uh, yeah, the, the speed bump we had implemented prior to fee reclamation was a, like, you couldn't go above this uh, fast gas price. So we had an oracle that similar to what Bancor um, had, except uh, the fast gas uh, from off chain, and then you couldn't go above that. But I guess given the the latency between um, our prices and the soft front running was still possible, um, really because I remember at that time you could you could you can mine a transaction within the next block even if you had like ten guay gas prices like it was like one way so that mechanism wasn't uh, very effective to prevent them from actually front running our um our oracle so yeah that that was a different different time though so if you wanted to cap the let's say cap this gas price at something between below fast and standard it could get the uh, transactions could get stuck though that that's the one, one concern we had um as a speed bump like if you want to slow them down so they couldn't just go and, uh you know order you know bid in front of the other trend um uh, is this is this because the the keeper oracles have uh, latency in themselves as well like how often they update or what gas price they pay yeah so, so they don't care about gas prices, um, but they 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 work on fixed thirty minute windows. They don't work on when time changes. Um, so, so they're always like a thirty minute. The the T web specifically is always like a thirty minute lagging indicator. Um, CL is a five minute lagging indicator, and then Spot is basically a thirteen point five second lagging indicator. Got it. So, if if you if you slow people's transactions down, how 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 much slower do you want them? Like if, if uh, before you start rejecting their um, transactions, if you're limiting the gas price. Um, yeah, I'll. I've I've got a little bit of a prototype that sort of uses seen gas prices in the previous block. Um, it's not quite ready yet, but but let me let me um, finish that prototype and add it into the AMM and then share that with um, Philip and Ben again, and then we'll we'll do another round of this. I think. Yep, yep, that'll, that'll be interesting. So look into that. Awesome. Um, so one question, I guess, that I had around the back testing, um, maybe for Caleb, is obviously Andre has this uh, this AMM, which is sort of, I guess, attempting to replicate what this functionality would look like, but it's not exactly, uh, you know, it's um, not exactly what we would expect. Um, what how difficult would it be to deploy something to testnet um you know coven or something like that uh that would fairly closely replicate uh 
maintenance conditions and you know have some kind of uh, bounty or something like that to uh, to attempt you know to get people to attempt to uh, to front run it to to sort of see if we can um, you know do some testing in, in that way rather than simulations. Is that something that that would be achievable? Uh, I mean, aren't aren't we currently doing it? I mean, there's a there's a pretty hefty bounty in that AMM right now. Yeah, I, I guess my question is like, it, how close is that implementation to uh, to what the the exchange function would be in synthetics? Like, is there any limitation on that uh, based on the the amount of value that's in there that that's kind of causing it to not behave exactly as it would if it was implemented directly in synthetics uh, yeah the the only difference now is just it's bounded by the amount of liquidity you can do um and and the the attack vector does only appear when you know you you start exceeding um the the x times y slippage you would basically get in like a uniswap or sushi swap trade um so so i think because it's bounded by the current liquidity available, it's probably not going to be profitable until you start hitting, you know, those those insane numbers where where because 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 the whole attack is basically where that profit margin, because you're going through synthetics, is more than the slippage would have been if you did a normal X times Y trade. Um, so so we practically have to make it the unbounded liquidity, but when it's unbounded liquidity, I would in any case recommend the, the X times Y slippage be included in the price as well. Um, so, so it's a bit of a, you know, catch 22 there. Yeah, got it, understood, okay. Um, and, and there's nothing stopping someone from doing the, the attack that Caleb's talking about where you don't need to go through the entire uh, uh, four assets, right? You could just go SUSD, SBTC via that, uh, that TWAP pathway and then close it out. I'm assuming that's what Caleb you're you're doing. Uh, are you doing that against Andre's implementation or are you doing that against uh, like some test implementation that um, that Brett's provided? So I asked uh, initially uh, Andre for uh, the way to how to get the prices for, from the contract as to be able to uh, do some stress testing on it. And then Brett told me no, not to use the contract itself because there were some changes from uh, liquidity weighting point of view. That, that's what I'm not really sure of what were the, these details in particular. And he asked me to use another contract uh, to get the price feeds. And in that contract, I would just give uh, dollar coin and uh, rock Bitcoin, and then it gives me back a price. And I use that other contract for testing purposes, which more reflects what what the synthetics version would look like. I'm not uh, too familiar with um, uh, differences between these two fields, but I didn't use the contract that Andre puts out with a bounty. I used a different one that Brett pointed me to. Understood. Okay. Brad, I see you're unmuting, but we still can't hear you. Well, um, what what I can do is I can I can just chat with Brett after and then um, align 
the the AMM stuff, and then maybe Caleb will also chat and just add the slippage stuff we spoke about, and then I'll deploy a new one, and you know, let's see if we can break it. Well, about the slippage, um, uh, Brett asked me to include uh, the same as synthetics kind of fees in slippage. So for Bitcoin trades, you get 30, uh, 20, uh, 30 basis points of slippage, yeah. And for uh, ETH, you get 25 basis points. And still with that, on BTC, it was possible to get some profit, although let's see. Uh, it, it ate quite a bit from the profits, uh, like twenty yeah, percent. Yeah, so, 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 when I say when I say slippage, I don't mean the 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 synthetics fees. Although I do think we can add them as well. I I mean the actual, you know, x times y greater than k. How much slippage would you have had if ah. this was a normal WBTC Eve trade? Because that that one oh, okay. line I pointed you to, that you know, we just changed it oh, yeah, from, yeah, 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 from yeah, the yeah. the one to okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the, I was uh, referring to. Uh, another form of uh, fee factor that changes the price uh, of the of the AMM based on how much you want to push it uh, against you. So that's another parameter I think that they're playing with. And uh, uh, Brett told me to set it uh, or to incorporate fees as if um, uh, we were trading on synthetics. But yeah, the, the, the other slippage that includes uh, AMM would definitely work better because it gets stronger with larger trades, of course. Okay, awesome. So I think uh, that in terms of next steps, we need to kind of get this, get the three of you guys to coordinate, um, Andre, Brett, and Caleb, and uh, work out what this kind of reference implementation is that includes everything that we wanted to include, um, and then uh, get that on mainnet and and you know start doing the back testing that Caleb has done again. Obviously, ideally, we want you know uh, a period of high volatility um, because you know Caleb had I think four or five days where it was fairly uh, low volatility and and there wasn't really an attack vector there. So we might have to just wait. You know, hope maybe through the weekend or whatever uh, for for volatility to pick up a little bit. Um, but I think if we can kind of target having that ready to go in the next couple of days and and get a few days worth of back testing, we can uh, reconvene and you know we'll have that data based on the the reference implementation. Yeah, perfect. I'll chat to both after this, and um, I'll be able to deploy anyone today still, and then they can start collecting some data. Okay, awesome. Anyone else from the council have any questions, I guess? I'm yeah, just curious. Was a question. Like, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think is uh, something that makes sense to front run with? So it kind of sounds like it needs to be a very, very big number. So just wondering how realistic is that someone, you know, has like millions at, at his disposal to just experiment with this and is there any risk for such a front runner because the way i understand it you don't really have or do you have like a guaranteed output for from the trade you would attempt to make yeah i don't, I don't think it's guaranteed well, i think there is some risk there yeah. one thing i was thinking about uh just i guess in direct response to your question daniel is um maybe what we need to do is uh, put some kind of, I know, I know there's a bounty there, there's a million dollars in there and that should be sufficient, but I do worry that maybe just from a discovery perspective, it, it hasn't been kind of amplified as much as it could have been. Um, so I think maybe if we put like a, you know, five or 10,000 SNX bounty 
on it for a week uh, in addition, um, you know, uh, that might be sufficient to get some more eyeballs on it um, and, and get some people attacking it. Uh, but, you know, I'm kind of open to, to any other thoughts as to how to make sure that it's really been shaken out. Yeah, okay. So um, I was just like looking for a ballpark f figure if, if Caleb had one while doing the research. If Like what would be a number someone needs at his disposal to, to attempt to, to front run this mechanism? Well, the, uh, I'll, I'll share the results with you uh, separately uh, if you're interested. Uh, but I think it was around uh, 3 to 5%, if I'm not mistaken per day of trading. All right, so yeah, that that's, it's risky, <laughs> all right. And that's irrespective of size, I'm assuming, right? Like if you've got 10 grand, you can still get like three to three to 5% per day. Yeah, the, the thing is that um, the, what Brett told me is that the price doesn't adjust for size, so as as much volume as you can squeeze through, you'll make that much money. Yeah, of course, because you're going through the AMM and then going to synthetics. So there's no um, um, slippage incorporated to both these things. So yeah, you still make the same amount of money regardless of the size. Got it. And that's where obviously including some kind of slippage factor, as Andre was suggesting, would mitigate that potentially. I guess it's, it just comes down to there's a bit of tension between, uh, you know, making this usable. Um, if the fill is so bad that, that people don't want to use it, if it's worse than, you know, going through Uniswap or something like that, then obviously that's an issue. Um, so I think we just need to kind of tweak these different dimensions to, you know, protect against volatility, but not have so much slippage in low volatility environments that the fill is worse than what would be through, you know, an alternative. Uh, and I think we've got from, you know, from listening to what Andre was saying and, and talking to Brett, I think we have those levers. It's probably just about getting the right data and, and you know, tweaking the parameters to, to get those levers uh, correct. There was, there was an idea from Bojan that uh, uh, would like to raise. Maybe he's not here, that's why. I'll talk about it. He's, he, he said that if it was possible to provide the least amount of slippage, uh, slippage on the market, but some slippage. So basically what he means is that we get the slippage factors from Uniswap Sushi and we divide that by a certain denominator and that denominator is a parameter. So it's not like we're not providing slippage. There is slippage, but it is the best slippage possible in the market. And that's uh, another uh, way to work around this problem that Bojan uh, suggested. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting pathway. I guess um, I'll let you guys uh, discuss that offline and see if that makes sense versus the other uh, potential implementations. um awesome all right well if no one else has any other questions that was that was super helpful i guess uh we'll reconvene once we've got some more data thanks andre for joining 
Yeah, I'll I'll update everyone later today when we deploy a new um, a new test. Great. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, bye. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye.